Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. Hi everyone and welcome. My name is Bernadette Fursvelt. I'm a partner at Weber Wenzel specializing in intellectual property law. I'm hosting today's podcast, which is focused on the consumer sector, trends in 2021 and what to expect moving forward. To guide us through the various subsectors within the consumer sector, we are joined by four experts. Candice Mayer, one of our corporate partners, giving us an overview of the consumer sector with a focus on retail. Pooja Della, a partner in our dispute resolution team, is covering food and beverage. Gassan Seda, also a corporate partner, addressing the hospitality and leisure subsector. And lastly, Kirsty Kilner, a partner from our projects team, who will be telling us a little bit about climate change and its effect on the consumer sector. Candice, let's start with you. How are South African consumers spending their income? Yes, hi Bernadette, thanks for that. Um, so, so at the moment, people typically plan globally to spend about a third of their income towards discretionary spend. Um, this has been declining in the US and UK more recently. But in South Africa, we're still seeing people doing that slightly below what the global average is. Um, the result is obviously because of COVID that many people won't be spending, for example, on restaurants and social activities Although this is desirable from their point of view, we've seen a bit of a move away from um, buying things towards sort of buying experiences. So I think that could largely be driven by um, people just introspecting a bit more, appreciating life a little bit more, less about the pursuit of money and things, more about the pursuit of some kind of happiness, um, a bit, bit ethereal, but the idea being that you can actually see it in consumer buying power and what people are willing to spend on. Um, unfortunately, spending has been a bit flat. And um, as you know, many of our consumers are spending well above their means. In fact, a third of South Africa's population is using credit facility to kind of supplement income, even on basic things um, like food and groceries and that sort of thing. They're using um, credit cards to fund that, which is obviously a bad a bad situation to be in. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's that's pretty much where we've we've come to in the last year or so. I think we can all relate to that in some way, uh, Candice. I think we've all had a change in our focus on discretionary spend. What's the market perception of spend versus reality? So I think a lot of people feel as though prices have gone up and obviously there's a strain on the economy. People are losing income or losing employment opportunities and at the same time feeling that prices have gone up. But actually the reality is that, that pricing increases have been fairly inflationary linked from, from what we're seeing in the statistics. Perceptions are not necessarily correct. So, for example, groceries have risen year on year by 6.7%. Clothing has only gone up by 1.9% year on year, restaurants 5.7% and alcohol and tobacco by 4%. So you can see that those increases are not as exorbitant as we typically think in the consumer space. Many people are very worried though that their frequently needed goods, the day-to-day -day stuff is becoming a lot more expensive. And as I said, they're using credit cards to fund the shortfall. It spends about 30,000, but in terms of discretionary spend, we're well below the global average. Um, so in terms of non-discretionary spend, meaning your housing and, and sort of areas where those funds are fixed, um, approximately 65% is being spent um, globally um, and 35 on discretionary nice-to-haves. And then in South Africa, it's a 63-35 split at the moment. And tell us, Candice, what developments have we seen in the route to market? 
Well, with the rise and fall of COVID and the sort of ebb and flow of infections that's been happening over the various lockdown phases we've seen in South Africa, we've seen that consumer spending and consumer behavior has changed accordingly. So it's likely that with the fourth wave, we may well see an increase in online sales again. People did start to kind of go back to shops more and more in numbers, feeling a bit safer, I suppose, and consumer confidence being a bit better in the context of declining COVID infections. But now with the fourth wave, logic dictates that people will probably try and buy online again much more and hopefully be less in the shops from a safety point of view. So this obviously has then ripple effects on the economy in the sense that there's greater strain on logistics. So instead of just supplying from a distribution center to a shop, there's an increase in the need for door-to-door logistics. I know, for example, Apple globally has been under a massive constraint with supply and their particularly their logistics chain from Asia across to Europe and to Africa. So even big names are, are struggling to get their product to the consumer. Interesting. And, and how has all of this impacted retail? Well, there is a likely move to greater local production within our borders because of the international supply chain constraints. There's great instability from a deliveries point of view, and there's rising costs with the difficulties associated with COVID. So it seems, for example, we've seen a boost to the local clothing manufacture sector in the Western Cape, which is fantastic for that region. We may also see a broader boost to the local economy. The manufacturing sector will need to ratchet up to be able to produce more local products. In addition, our logistics supply chain will then obviously benefit from greater export potentially of more valuable beneficiated products, and that will result in localized job creation. The online sales space is obviously on the rise, and e-commerce is going to be critical going forward with work from home um, and hybrid working um, and, and obviously just risks around going into shops. So we're seeing more and more entrepreneurs entering the space with um or even large businesses moving into new spaces. So, for example, the Fashini Group is in the process of acquiring Quench, which is an online liquor sales um, business. And, and there, again, you can see an expansion of what their traditional business model was to include e-commerce and online shopping using that delivery platform. And all of this bodes really well for South Africa's economy. The more we can do within our borders and the more we can enhance the value of our products, uh, the more job opportunities there are, the greater the greater the revenues. So it's all good news from that perspective. Interesting. Thanks, Candice. Thank you for those insights. I'd like to turn over to Pooja. Pooja, let's start with the beverage sector. What trends are we seeing? Thanks, Bernadette. Um, you know, that's such an interesting question because what we have been seeing throughout the pandemic and as a result of the pandemic is that businesses, manufacturers, retailers and the like have had to adapt their business models due to the new trends which have emerged in response to COVID-19. So, for example, we have seen some big changes in the marketing of beverages because of various lockdowns. Beverage companies have not been able to market their brands in a traditional way at concerts, at clubs, at restaurants, etc. So they have had to come up with different ways of marketing their products. So we have seen different activation patterns, for example, at retail stores and the advertising of zero alcohol brands, brands like Heineken, for example, Heineken Zero, were quick off the mark with their take your beer to work day. That was an activation on social media and also positioning themselves in major retail shops throughout the country. So many beverage companies have used activations on TV and social media to spread stay safe messages during the hard lockdowns. So continuing to advertise, but aligning their brands to safe COVID messaging as well. 
There's also been a rise in direct sales to consumers, particularly in the alcohol industry. People are ordering for direct home delivery. So companies have had to look into online sales and bulk buying because people are concerned that there will be another ban. As we are heading into the next wave, consumers are looking to bulk buying as a consequence. Bulk buying has also had an impact on availability and companies' ability to provide alcohol because of the bulk buying. We saw that companies were not initially used to these trends. They had to alter the amount they manufacture, and particularly during the harder lockdowns, this was difficult due to restrictions in manufacturing alcohol, particularly because they were also unable to transport alcohol during the harder lockdowns. How do you think retailers have coped with the emerging trends? You know, with people purchasing for direct home delivery, there has certainly been a reduced foot traffic to retailers. Uh, manufacturers are trying to find ways to get consumers back to the retailers to increase foot traffic to retailers. So, for example, if a consumer goes into a retailer to purchase a case of wine, for example, they're more likely to make other purchases whilst they're there physically. So manufacturers are really trying to work together to help retailers get customers back into their businesses by having, for instance, competitions or promotions, etc. So manufacturers are, in a sense, assisting retailers with their marketing campaigns so that we don't actually see the end of retail business, as it were, in the sector. So it really has been a symbiotic kind of relationship between manufacturers and retailers. And what about the consumers? What sort of trends have you noticed there? So consumers have been quite interesting. We've um, seen behavioral changes in consumption. We have seen a great increase in zero alcohol or non-alcoholic beverages in the market. There has been a market increase in people consuming beverages at home. And as a result, manufacturers are mindful of this and want to change behavior patterns in the space. So we see that they're now offering far more non-alcoholic products. So think non-alcoholic gins, zero alcohol beer, etc. And this really has been in response to an overconsumption of alcohol. And this is an important point from a responsibility perspective, and I touched on it a moment ago. Manufacturers refer to this as going dark. And what this means is that there has been a change to responsible messaging in marketing campaigns. So marketing campaigns are not driving parties and get-togethers and social events. Rather, it's all about drinking a non-alcoholic beverage in your home. So the marketing is now focused on being safe, being at home, whilst enjoying your favorite beverages. Thanks, Pooja. And tell us about the food industry. What trends are we seeing in this industry? Yeah, so again, we've seen consumer behavioral changes. There are far more people, for example, ordering online. They order for home delivery and many are opting for bulk buying. And this is particularly as we see manufacturers developing more reliable and easier to use platforms such as 66, OneCart and Pick and Pay ASAP. We've also seen relationships forming between logistics companies and the food industry so that they can get food out to consumers. So cold chain logistics companies are partnering with retailers all over the country. Interestingly, on the restaurant front, restaurants have had to really adapt their businesses by offering online sales and changing their offerings to at-home meals or DIY kits, for example, where you purchase the basic ingredients from the restaurant and prepare the meals yourself. So it's not just about people coming into restaurants anymore. 
we've seen an upward trend in making food available for home delivery, again, through online platforms such as Uber Eats, uh, Mr. Delivery, or even in some instances, other establishments having their own delivery services, such as KFC, Nando's, Debonair's and the like. And we've seen this really across the platform, including the higher end restaurants in the market. So in order to survive, restaurants in particular have really had to adapt their business models in the wake of COVID. And as a result of these trends in the food and beverage sector, what do the players in the industries have to think about? Yeah, that's a good question. So in light of the trends that we've just identified, there has been significant developments in technology, for example. Our clients have had to consider the IP that has been developed and the protection of that IP, as well as commercializing that IP by offering it under license to other retailers, manufacturers, logistics companies, etc. And in adopting AI and having mobile applications, manufacturers and retailers are now collecting data of consumers. So this is quite important because in that process, they would have to consider PAPIA, so the Protection of Personal Information Act, and ensure that their processing of personal information is in compliance with POPI and other legislation such as the Consumer Protection Act. And I suppose the last point that I'd like to mention, uh, which we've seen a significant increase on, is with the reduction of staff as a result of COVID and the COVID implications on businesses. Clients have had to consider employment law-related issues like retrenchments, mental health, health and safety in the workplace. And the more interesting uh, topic very recently that businesses will undoubtedly have to grapple with is the introduction of mandatory vaccination policies. But I suppose that's a, a whole podcast for another day. Definitely is, Pooja. Thanks very much. I'd like to speak to Gassan about arguably one of the most hard-hit subsectors within the consumer sector as a result of the pandemic, and that's the hospitality and leisure sector. Not only has the sector had to deal with travel bans, restrictions and the like, the sector has also had to deal with a complete shift in the mindset of consumers. When we speak about a shift in the mindset of the consumer, Gassan, what are we seeing? Thanks, Bernadette. I think it is quite interesting. There's been a there has been a very big shift uh, in the mindset of the consumer, especially in the uh, hospitality sector. So I think, as Candice mentioned earlier, many consumers are now at the point where they are living above their actual needs. There's a very small portion of their income that is discretionary and that they can spend on discretionary spending. And this is kind of taken away from the fact that you now want to spend your holidays in a more traditional way. What we're now seeing is people spending their holidays or their, their disposable income on holidays, which have impacts where you are impacting local communities, where you are actually getting some sort of adventure in your holiday, as opposed to the more lavish type holidays where we would go and sit in a hotel previously. Um, I think there's also been quite a bit of travelers choosing to stay local. So the new term that's been coined are staycations and pleasure holidays, which are business pleasure holidays where you are actually not on leave, but you're not working from home. These trends have become quite, quite big in the new norm of remote working. It also allows travelers to stop dealing with the uncertainty of travel bans, canceled flights, and the admin of having to comply with the ever-changing safety protocols while trying to travel internationally. Uh, what we have seen is that this has allowed the local market in certain instances to flourish with um, discounted prices at specific spots around South Africa, which previously were not really made for the local market. So you take your luxury lodges, for example, where prices were 
previously and before COVID such that a lot of the South African local community would not be able to afford these places. So we are seeing a very big shift in the mindset of the consumer and what they are actually looking for uh, when spending their money on holiday. You know, the hospitality and leisure sector, tourism sector, it's a really well-established industry. Uh, It seems to be a very different consumer that they're now having to service. How easy is it for the industry to pivot to meet the demands of, let's call it the COVID consumer? Yeah, I think you're you're 100% right. It's it's been an industry that's been around forever, but it is a, actually a completely new market. So, as we've seen uh, in recent times, hotel operators across the globe are trying to now meet the demands of the new COVID consumer. So what they are doing is they're investing or partnering in smaller experience operators to ensure that their customers remain loyal to their brand, but they still have the ability then to give the consumer the experience that everybody's yearning for. You find a lot of operators also partnering up with airlines, cruise operators, etc., to give a consumer a more one-stop shop uh, from the start of their journey to the end of the journey. So you have big hotel operators that are now investing in cruise liners as part of their portfolio. Obviously, a big thing that's taken the globe by storm is sustainability. So you've got operators constantly looking at their sustainability commitment, removing things like paper from their premises, opening up hotels that are completely green, etc. And those type of things are starting to bring a new market and retain the consumer that they have to continue basically keeping the brand alive. We also see that operators are now having to to shift their minds, not to the traditional travel experience, but also to the travel experience of a large amount of their guests coming in for business pleasure holidays to basically continue working while on holiday. So you'll find that a lot of these operators have started bulking up in their offering in terms of Wi-Fi, complete connectivity, and basically keeping that in check together with their other offerings like health, mental well-being, spas, etc. Another important thing that I think that we've seen is digitalization within the industry. So the hotels of the future are not hotels where now you arrive at the hotel and it's a face-to-face interaction from the time you check in until the time you leave. What the consumers are looking for now is more speed. So in other words, digitalization, being able to check in online before they arrive at the hotel so that they can get straight from the cab into their rooms, ordering room service via apps. So basically minimal face-to-face interaction with staff. Uh, And that, that seems to be the hotel of the future. It's incredible how things have changed. In these times with all the restrictions and the industry struggling financially, where are these groups getting the finances to do all of this? From an operator perspective, it's interesting. The shift in the consumer mindset has, uh, I think, started well before the pandemic. The pandemic has merely sped up the process. So groups or operators that were alive to the change in the consumer behavior have been preparing for this slow change even way before the pandemic started. The model globally from an operator perspective has moved away from hotel operators both owning and managing their facilities to merely managing facilities through hotel management agreements. We've seen a lot of these operators basically start splitting up their operations where they have their properties, they've spun their properties off into other uh, real estate assets and asset managers, and they're focused purely on managing and operating these hotels, which allows them to focus on their core business. I think this has also managed to allow these operators to free up a lot of cash for investments uh, in digitalization, in making sure that they are now able to offer the consumer what they are looking for. 
So, Gassan, what does the future of the sector look like? I think that the future of the sector is bright. I think in the next couple of months, and I think uh, there's been talk uh, in the market that it will take the industry in South Africa about 10 months to recover from the easing of restrictions. Once the sector starts easing up, I think across the globe, everybody wants to travel. The travel itch is building up in consumers. And slowly, as things uh, open up, the hotels that have managed to listen to consumers and understand what the consumers want and have adapted to this will be set for the future, I'm sure. Thank you, Gassan. I think we're all rooting for the sector and desperately want to see their recovery. It's so important for our economy. You mentioned travellers wanting to spend wisely, purposefully making a positive impact on the world. And a topic running across the whole consumer sector is that of climate change. We're seeing a rising consumer spend on sustainable products, despite the higher cost associated with sustainable products. In fact, I believe globally that as many as 72% of customers perceive climate change as an emergency. Kirsty, I'm going to turn to you now. From a South African point of view, are there any shifts in the consumer mindset from an environmental perspective? Absolutely. Um, I think the findings of Deloitte's State of the Consumer Tracker tell us quite clearly that it's now common for South Africans to buy sustainable products and services. Um, according to that study, 73% of people indicated that they are happy to pay substantially more for sustainable products than the less sustainable and cheaper alternatives. Um, and interestingly, it was also found that people are generally wanting to save money and have a real concern about their savings and credit card balances. So I think the fact that consumers are spending more on sustainable products, despite the increased cost of those products, is a clear shift in consumer mindset. And why do you think we're seeing this shift among South African consumers in particular? So climate change is being taken a lot more seriously now than ever before. Um, I think over the last few years, awareness about climate change and its impacts has risen enormously. And as a result, we've seen a huge upswing in climate change related litigation and massive stakeholder activism. Um, and this has really forced companies and boards to take sustainability seriously and to make decisions which are impactful from an environmental, a social and a corporate governance perspective, even if these decisions will not be the most profitable financially. Governments have also increasingly been forced to implement legislation and policies which support and contribute to the fight against climate change. So really, the reality is that we've entered a new era globally, as far as the protection of the environment is concerned, which I think is really changing consumer purchasing behavior and ultimately driving this shift in consumer mindset that we are seeing today. Do you think consumers have a real appreciation for what actually constitutes sustainable products and services? I think that consumers want to make the right choices, but it's apparent from the findings of the Deloitte's tracker that despite this shift in mindset um, to purchasing sustainable products that we're seeing, consumers are actually confused about what sustainable products really are. I think many people don't fully understand that in order for a product or service to be truly sustainable, that product or service must generate both um, a measurable social and an environmental benefit. And I think this confusion is probably a reflection of where we are in terms of the shift in mindset, um, which is relatively new. But given the genuine concern that we're seeing among consumers about climate change, I think it's only a matter of time before consumers become a lot more savvy and start demanding greater transparency from brand owners and retailers about products which they claim to be sustainable. And I think this could have a really positive impact on local production. 
And I say this because local products tend to have a significantly smaller carbon footprint and are therefore regarded as a much more sustainable alternative compared to imported goods. Thank you, Kirsty. You and Candice have both mentioned local production, which I think is an excellent outcome for the South African economy. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. Let me wrap things up. COVID-19 brings a tremendous amount of uncertainty, but the takeaway is that in the consumer sector, there's a significant amount of opportunity and consequently hope in our country as a whole. Consumers are spending more, seeking improvements to their lifestyle, with sustainability becoming increasingly important. I want to thank all my partners for being here and sharing their expertise and insights with everyone listening. This has been Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. This podcast is produced for Weber Wenzel by Volume. I'm your host, Bernadette Fersfeldt, and thank you for listening. Be safe and stay healthy. You have been listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, visit WeberWenzel.com.